Talking about stuff, talking about things, talking about you, talking about me. It's not a wild country, and we are celebrating. It is Canberra. Conversations in the capital. Hello, my name is Henry. Welcome to Canberra Conversations in the Capital. Today, inside ANU's Shifley Library, I'm joined by Dr. Duncan Driver. Highly regarded in the Canberra theatre scene, Duncan co-founded Lake Sphere in 2017. Dedicated to making theatre more accessible to Canberrans, the company has produced multiple seasons of free Shakespearean performances throughout the nation's capital. A scholar of the Bard, Duncan has combined a love of literature with his other passion, teaching. He has taught both English and education at a tertiary level, influencing countless students in the process. Providing academic assistance for universities and artistic advice for Lakesphere, Duncan is truly a jack-of-all-trades, and he makes the most of them to motivate and inspire generations of Canberrans. Duncan, hello. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. No, of course. We are on ANU campus. We are a stone throws away from Theatre 3, Canberra Rap, where you did quite a few performances back in the day, and there are so many more theatre spaces now, not just in ANU, but all throughout Canberra. What's it like seeing so many more spaces just pop up for artistic expression over these last few years? It's wonderful, and it strikes me as distinctly Canberran. It's probably not true. It's probably <laughs> everywhere in the world. Theatrical spaces are popping up everywhere, but it's great to see it happening here. And I like that most of them are relatively intimate, because mm. I think if there's one thing theatre has over other versions of performed drama, it's that visceral immediacy that that's its best and most distinguishing feature so the, the more you can experience that in a relatively contained way where you feel like you're part of what's happening the the better it is no absolutely and you were a part of what was happening all the time i was the past days. tense yes <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i kind of want to look at what kind of what kind of early theater memories do you have of Ooh. your time doing in canberra my earliest memories would be associated with watching my dad at places like Canberra Rep. Uh, so my dad was a bit of an amateur mm -hmm. performer, and I remember watching him in a production of Peter Pan. Oh yeah, and being mesmerised. Um, partly that that was my dad, and yet he was being someone else, <laughs> which is a kind of trippy thing for someone of five to experience. What did he play? Who did he play? He was Mr. Darling. Oh, so not Captain Hook, not no, Peter Pan. No. Um, but he, he was playing a father, so at least he wasn't too far from the version of him that I knew. And yeah, I just had a very strong sense that what Dad was doing there is something that I also wanted to do. Hmm. So I think the first time I got to experience it was being a workhouse boy in a production of Oliver. Oh, yes. The musical Oliver. Of course. And so the first stage I ever performed on was the main stage of the Canberra Theatre. And, you know, I took it for granted. I didn't realise it would take about 30 years before I would be on that stage again. Sure, sure. <laughs> Do you remember any really exciting parts that you did throughout the years? I tend to remember the shows based on how much fun I had doing them. Yeah, of course. But a lot of that would be connected to how challenging the role itself was. Mm. I was talking to people last night about how a production of Under Milk Wood, Dylan Thomas's Under Milk Wood at Rep, and this would have been 2013, mm. it was in all of our minds one of the best things we've ever done and it was also one of the hardest things yeah, sure. I've ever done. The show was conducted in almost total darkness. 
Hmm. And with a lot of moving parts, literally, these things in, in theaters of land we call trucks, which are basically like um, a panel of a wall, but on movable wheels. Sure. And we had about eight or nine of them going in different directions in total darkness amongst a cast of 12 actors. What? So there was a lot of potential for injury and accident and things you thought a light to come up and the thing not to be where it was meant to be and a, a huge amount of rehearsal devoted to just getting the scenery moving in the right way yeah one of those things where if you pull it off though it's magical i'm assuming it's all these different experiences that culminated into the creation of Lexphere. what was the thought process behind it for me. I was attending a round of auditions. I wasn't auditioning and I wasn't involved in the play. I was just asked to watch some auditions oh, and yeah? comment uh, for a production of Alan Bennett's play, The History Boys. And uh, somebody who was auditioning wanted to chat with me afterwards and said, I've had this idea. And you know how New York has this Shakespeare in the park? And they do that at other parts of the world as well. And it's a free performance for people. And great actors like Meryl Streep will come and do it. I want to create something like that for Canberra. And I was riding my motorbike along the side of Tuggeranong Town Park, mm -hmm. which is by Lake Tuggeranong. Yeah. And this phrase popped into my head, Shakespeare by the lakes. So do you want to try and make that actually happen? And I said, I'd love to, but let's call it Lakespear. Yeah. I don't think he liked that as much, so we compromised. And <laughs> Lakespear was the name of the company. Yeah. And he got to keep the event as Shakespeare <laughs> by the Lakes. And so that was 2017, towards the end of 2017, when we started to set it up. And we did our first performances in February 2018. Much ado about nothing. Yeah. Something you guys did exceptionally well because I can still remember it now after all these years and was your advertising. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I, I remember seeing all the different advertisements and media and, and the promos about Shakespeare by the Lake. Oh um, good, and it did its job. Yeah, and then every year it just, it just showed up again, right? And like all those things that you, you start, you're kind of making it up as you go along. Yeah. At that point in time, Tamus was on the production side and he was, he was trying to get money out of local businesses and government organizations to pay for the thing. And Lexi and I were trying to simultaneously direct, produce and perform it. <laughs> a production of Much Ado About Nothing. Maybe the quintessential moment of rehearsal. We were rehearsing in Tuggeranong yeah. at uh, Communities at Work who very kindly let us use their space for free. But in January, and with a broken air conditioner in this sweltering room, we opened up all of the doors and windows, and people who had been down at the McDonald's on the corner threw a one-liter bottle of creaming soda open what? into the rehearsal room. Oh, no. We were trying to rehearse it and involve dance. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, a nice rehearsal <laughs> moment. But I was reminded that um, in Elizabethan England, it would have been far worse than yeah, that. No, so that you know, <laughs> extraordinary things could have happened in the uh, in the pit yeah. of the Globe Theatre. And ever since that year, we've run it back a few times. COVID has stopped you for 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 a year or two. Yeah, um, but that's that's just life, right? That's right. Any any major highlights from um, the time so far? Well, it, it might be a bit of a weird one, but I think the most recent big series of park shows production of As You Like It mm. is a real highlight for me because 
I think it's the best show Lake Spears done. Oh, lovely. And damn it, I wasn't in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why it was the best show Lake Spears done. I didn't force myself into it. Um, but it was just wonderful. Like Every performance was great. It was brilliantly directed. And it was just fun. It was mm. just exciting to watch. And I loved every minute of it. So that's definitely a highlight. In terms of performance, I think... Being able to do Clarence's dream speech in Richard III mm. was a real highlight for me because it's, I think, the closest I've come to being able to perform Shakespeare well. Uh, you never actually get there. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you know, singing an aria or something. Yeah. If you're, no matter how great an opera singer you are, if you listen back to it, all you can hear are the bits where you didn't quite get what you were going sure, for. Sure. So that's what I see when I watch the footage, but I also know it's the closest I've <laughs> to doing it the way I want it to be done. Yeah. And to this day, you still remain as an artistic advisor of source to all of it? Yeah, I suppose the term would be associate artist. Sure, yeah. Maybe this has already happened, but have you considered incorporating the lake itself into any place yet? Yeah. A character jumping in. Absolutely. Not drowning, per se, but... <laughs> yeah, we, we, as soon as we knew we were doing Twelfth Night, yeah. we thought, oh, well, we know how the place can open then. Because Viola's first scene is her at the end of a shipwreck, having kind sure, of crawled yeah. up onto the banks of this island. And thought, you could come out of the lake. It didn't end up happening for, oh. for various complex reasons. But it's certainly something that's occurred to us. Uh, at some point, we were, we were going to do a production of The Tempest. Yeah. And oh. there's so many yeah, opportunities sure. <laughs> for things to happen in and out of water there. There was a, a wonderful production that happened in, I think, the 1970s, mm -hmm. one of the English productions, where it was outdoors on an actual lake bank. And they constructed a kind of extended platform just underneath the surface of the water yeah. so that you, the audience couldn't see it was there but you could run along it and it would create the illusion that you're walking on water. Oh, that's cool. And there's this magical creature in the Tempest called Ariel. Uh, Ariel has a, an exit right at the end of the play when he's set free by the kind of colonial overlord of the island. And it was just as the sun was disappearing, like the end of dusk, and the platform was long enough that Ariel the audience saw the illusion of Ariel running onto the water and then disappearing out of sight. Wow. And then this little firework went off and everyone who was there said that's like one of the most magical moments of theatre they'd ever experienced. And that's what you'll recreate the next time you do that. <laughs> I never saw it, but I can imagine it. Yeah. And I would love to be able to recreate that. That's amazing. So with all of that theatre experience and that theatre knowledge under your belt, at some point a decision was made to go into teaching and to help teach. Talk me through that journey, that shift. I started teaching when I was lecturing at ANU, so here where mm. we are, just in the building opposite the one we're yeah. sitting in. And it may have even been in a room in the Chifley Library that that decision was made. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I was tutoring and I was lecturing uh, in the Faculty of English 
and uh, you know obviously I'd done a lot of theatre as well but they've always been quite separate mm. in my mind um, and uh, I don't want to pour scorn on ANU because it's not an ANU problem it's a university problem and it's mm. worldwide but I was getting frustrated with short-term contracts sure sure uh, and I wanted a bit of employment stability and so I thought I if I did a teaching qualification that could be a, an avenue for that so I went to UC and did what was then a grad dip ed <laughs> which the one year. Um, you probably would have done if you could yeah uh, the one year qualification although you know I I, I feel like two years is the absolute minimum that you need because there's so little um, I was able to to sort of get underneath my skin by the time mm. I was in a classroom as a permanent teacher at school but like to, to try and actually answer your question the the nexus of theatre and education I suppose coagulated or cohered <laughs> depending on your point of view in what I imagine is quite a performative teaching style. Mm. I think it's gotten less so over the years. Like oh, yeah. at first, I was a lot more um, fireworky yeah. myself, and I've gotten more confident in seeding the stage to students. Sure. But yeah, I think my pedagogy for a long time was was focused very much on wanting to be a symbol of the subject I was teaching mm. and thought that to be a good symbol so yeah. wanting to model the attitude towards that subject I wanted everyone else in the room to have mm. so I know that you know direct instruction and um, teacher focused teaching is has a bit of a bad rap these days but if I'm being honest that's how I started doing this job there you go and those theater experiences, were they often brought into the classroom as well when it came to the content that was being done, like different theater games and things like that, or that knowledge? Yeah, I, I didn't teach a lot of drama. I was almost exclusively an English teacher, hmm. but occasionally things would, would come out. I used to like doing tongue twisters and that <laughs> I grew out of being a, a vocal warm up in theatre so occasionally I'd find an opportunity for that in an English lesson. Mm. I'd write particular sentences up on the board and we'd have fun seeing who could or couldn't <laughs> say them. Yeah. One of the best ones was the sixth sick sheep sixth sheep sick. Yeah. Yeah, you know that one. Yeah, it's my favourite tongue twisters. Yeah. 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 The other one I really liked was um, she sat on the steps of Burgess's fish sauce shop inexplicably mimicking his hiccuping whilst amicably <laughs> welcoming him in. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> well, I would like to get some of your thoughts then on how Shakespeare is taught these days in the classroom. I feel like there is this resistance to both learning it and almost to finding like new, smarter ways of teaching it, mm. just because it can be seen as something that's so much less of the current time mm. not my views just generally that's right. that you of, can have like, that view if you want no to I but yeah but no but that of like students let's say and, yeah, okay. and English teachers who may just have done it too often now mm. um, general observations on this and any advice you may give to try to encourage that Shakespearean content to be taught Sure. In a way that's more engaging. Look, I don't feel like anyone should be forced to teach Shakespeare if they don't want to. Hmm. If you have another text that you think it is, is going to be better for you in your class to achieve the same outcomes that are associated with 
Shakespeare, then I think you should be free to do that. Mm. But if you want to teach Shakespeare and you think you can do it well, then great. I think sometimes if it's forced on people who are a bit scared by it or are unfamiliar with it, a lot of people aren't entirely sure what it is they're supposed to teach mm. when it comes to Shakespeare. And so they teach it in the way they would teach most other texts. So there's a focus on learning a bit about plot and a bit about character and a bit about theme and then it all gets attached to an assessment item. And there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that approach. Mm. But I think you're, you may be missing out on what's best about Shakespeare. Plot is not the best <laughs> aspect of any Shakespeare play. They are pegs to hang elements of character and most of all language on. Sure. So I think a language focused approach is the best one you can take. And then you're also, you know, teaching literacy and language mm. as well as literature. And I think focusing on the soliloquies is never a bad idea. I mentioned the analogy to opera before, and that's mm. a good one. Just as in an opera, things build towards solo arias. In Shakespeare's plays, the scenes and the themes and the characters build toward these moments where mm. a soliloquy occurs. And that's the crystallization of everything that's been happening in the play. And so it's kind of tailor-made for teachers. You can just extract that soliloquy, give people a bit of contextual information, and then spend a lesson, maybe even two lessons, just looking at one speech in yeah. as much depth as you can, in a relaxed way, without feeling like you're marching through this play <laughs> in the most superficial of ways, because we've got to get from the beginning to the end. Yeah. So that, that's that second thing where everyone is assigned a role and you read your way through the play from beginning to end, I think that's probably how I'd recommend not to teach Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, there you go. Now, we're going to take a quick aside for a second from your passion for Shakespeare to talk about a different passion of yours, which is that of the Beatles. Oh, yes, I could talk about this subject yes. endlessly, and I do, Henry. Yes. <laughs> for those who may not be aware, uh, you have... I would like to say an extensive knowledge at this point of this amazing band. Not compared to some of the people I talk to on a regular basis. Sure. But, um, but if I can be immodest for yes. a moment, Henry, I can count the people who, <laughs> <laughs> who know more than me. Yeah. <laughs> I know their names. <laughs> yeah, we, we have coffee every week. <laughs> um, what got you into, I guess, studying? The Beatles? Um, a great love of the music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why they're the most popular band of all time. It's just that music is really effing good. Yeah. I think it was probably the first music I ever consciously listened to, or at least the first that I remember listening to. I remember in 1987, my father bought a CD player which was then the most extraordinarily futuristic technology. Yeah. Um, and in 1987, all of the Beatles catalog was released on CD. Mm. So we came home with this player and a copy of a Beatles album called Revolver. Yeah. And he put it on. And I don't know whether it was the music or the technology or some fusion of both, but I was just mesmerized. It was yeah. just extraordinary. Yeah, there's a part of me that thought, is it all going to be like this? And it wasn't. It's, it's never gotten better than listening to that one album at that one point in time in 1987. So I envy anyone who have not heard the Beatles album Revolver, because hmm. it's about as perfect as I think um, popular music can get. And you were like, thank you, Mr. Darling. And you were sort of like, yeah, no worries. Son. <laughs> totally. 
You got a? Do you have a short list of favorite Beatles songs? Oh, at the present time? Uh, yes, it would always be at the present time. Mm. I'll have to think my way through the Beatles catalogue oh, to be course. able to answer Natural. that question. So, like, starting quite early on, I think it's hard to go past Twist and Shout at mm -hmm. the end of their first album. Because it's... So, my wife has this thing of calling me whenever I'm podcasting that's or okay. driving that's, at no other time. That's so fine. Um, We're going to keep this bit in. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah, Twist and Shout, it's just... Uh, it sounds like euphoria and speed somehow captured like lightning in a bottle and <laughs> placed on record in February 1963 at EMI Studios. Yeah. Um, that is just, uh, yeah, a fabulous recording. And you can see what's so special about the Beatles if you compare it to anything else that was, that was around in February 1963. Listen to The Shadows or Cliff Richard <laughs> or... Um, any of those guys, and you'll you'll hear what a quantum leap uh, yeah, from sure. not just music, but pulse of culture or something yeah. is present. So that would be on the list. Um, there's a song on a Hard Day's Night, which is a couple of albums, a couple of years later, yeah. called Things We Said Today, and that has always struck me as the most amazing song for a, a man who wasn't yet 22 to have written and performed. Mm. This was Paul. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a Paul song. And he wrote it on holiday and he was in a rather, I don't know, ponderous mood. And the song is him imagining what it might be like in 40 or 50 years time to think back to the moment he's currently experiencing on mm. holiday nostalgically. Hmm. What a strange thing to do for a guy of 21, and yet he achieves it. You listen to the song. It's not just the lyrics, but you can hear in the music itself that that is the vibe. Yeah. That level of nostalgia that's just yeah. present. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And their, and their final few years? Something from Get uh, Back, sure. Something from, oh, okay. Because Get Back is probably still the most um, culturally resonant <laughs> thing in the Beatles catalogue. There's a song that opens that album called Two of Us, which I've always loved. Um, Paul said he wrote it about him and his uh, the woman who later became his wife, Linda, hmm. about feeling like there was this constant pressure in his life and he was always trying to win a prize or prove how good he was and that manifested in things like always being punctual and being the one who was organised and she used to say things like, Turn down that alleyway there. Let's just get lost and see what happens. And yeah. it, it triggered him, the idea of intentionally getting lost and then having to find your way back again. But he, bless him, followed that lead and started living life in quite a different, more instinctual way. And he wrote the song about that. But when you actually listen to the song, it sounds like a song about the Lennon-McCartney yeah. creative dyad. Yeah. It sounds like it's a song about them, which is... Interesting. Hmm. Just the uh, the Everly Brothers like harmonies in it. Yeah, it's just it's a wonderful song. Hmm. Would it be asking too much to get you to rank the fall? Oh God, I don't I, I don't like ranking, and I'll tell you why. Yes, please. I think that the measure of most great works of art is that for as long as you're under their spell, they are the greatest poem, play, song in the world. And it's because you're not coldly comparing it to other things. You're just enthralled mm. to that particular thing. So 
creating a list of the top 10 is sort of counterintuitive to me. Yeah. It's, it's not a bunch of horses that are in a race for first place. <laughs> they're very different beasts doing different things. And they are all the greatest song in the Beatles catalogue while I'm listening to yeah. that song. How good. So sorry, I refuse to answer That's that okay. question. And I appreciate that dearly. <laughs> Briefly before touched on how the Canberra theatre scene has grown physically in the sense that there's just more spaces now for it all to happen. From your perspective, how has the theatre scene itself evolved? Um, hmm. I think one of the best things about Canberra is in terms of its theatre, but this is also true of other things in Canberra, um, the border separating amateur from professional is quite porous. Mm. And some people find that frustrating. Uh, it can mean sometimes it's a bit of a roll of the dice when you buy a ticket for something. <laughs> but as someone who wants to get into the arts, that's really interesting and really exciting that you know, you could be doing something with a group of people who've never done any of this before, but you could also be acting with, you know, one of the most seasoned professionals in the country whose work you've known and loved for years. Yeah. So I love the fact that um, on one day of the week I could be doing a, a play reading at ANU with a bunch of students, and then later that evening I could be making a film with um, Max Cullen, who's <laughs> a great Australian actor who's done some, he's done a wonderful film called Billy's Holiday, he was in the Wolverine film. Mm. Uh, I mean, that, that's literally one day I had when I was in my <laughs> late 20s. Did a play reading in the morning, made a film with Max Cullen in the evening. Wow. And that kind of thing happens to you as a Canberra actor. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're less involved in the scene now, but if you were offered certain roles, are there any dream roles that you would just instantly be like, all right, it's now, we're doing it? Um, I think I would have to be, at, I'd have to believe that I could play it well at that point in time. Sure. Um, so there's a, a character, um, I'm struggling to remember the character's name, the, the main male character in a play called Educating Rita. Mm -hmm. He's like a, um, an alcoholic literature professor. And <laughs> he's, he's teaching this adult education class to one woman and the play is set entirely in his office. Right. And, the, and you watch those classes. I would love to do that. I don't think I'm not quite old enough to play him yet, but mm. that's when I've got earmarked for the future. There's a Tom Stoppard play called The Real Thing and the main character is a playwright in that. I'd love to do that. I probably could do that at my current age. There's a play called Private Lives by Noel Coward, mm -hmm. which is uh, two couples on their honeymoon, one of whom have, I think they've, um, they've been divorced and they've remarried. And then there's this other couple, a younger couple, and the, the whole play is on these two balconies of adjoining hotel rooms and you watch what happens between these two different couples on these two different balconies. Huh. I think, it, you know, when I was first really into that play, I could have done the younger one, but now I would have to do the older couple. Yeah. Um, in Shakespeare, I'd love to play Iago mm -hmm. in Othello. Yeah. 
that's probably yeah, the, the, the single Shakespeare role that I would most like to do. There you go. The most evil bastard <laughs> in all of literature. Yeah. Make of that what you will. Yeah. I mean, hey, if Shakespeare producers listening, there you go. You want Nick Guarantee Diago? He's right there. He's right here. <laughs> Duncan, I've asked this question to everyone this season so far. Yeah. Give me a controversial opinion you have about the ACT. Oh, okay. Um... All right, I'll go back to something I said earlier. Sure. When, when I was talking about, I liked how permeable and how organic the development of Canberra's theatre is. Mm -hmm. I think that's an example of something I like more generally about Canberra. Sure. A lot of people might complain that it doesn't have enough cool live music, it doesn't have enough great restaurants, it doesn't have enough culture, and they would prefer Sydney or Melbourne for that kind of thing. I like the fact that in Canberra, if you feel like it's missing some element of something you want out of the city, it almost becomes like the onus is on you to mm. help create that thing. Yeah. And you get to be a part of it rather than just a consumer of it. Mm. And I certainly feel like that was one of the driving forces behind Lakespeare was to try and create something we felt was missing from Canberra. So. You know, if I had lived in Melbourne or Sydney, I probably wouldn't have created Lakespeare because there are versions of that there already. Mm. So, yeah, being able to, to create and participate in the thing that you like, to me, is a very Canberran thing. And so I would never, if this is a controversial opinion, that the opinion is I like the fact that a lot of stuff you'd want out of a city doesn't exist yeah. sure, in Canberra. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Yeah. And we couldn't do Shakespeare in Sydney. There's not enough lakes. You know? like... <laughs> it, would have to be, it would have to be Shakespeare in the park or something. Yeah, that's it. I mean, on that topic of, of Lakespeare, uh, how's this year looking? What's the future looking like for Lakespeare Co? What's the future looking like for Shakespeare? In... I was about to say in the park, but no. Shakespeare, Shakespeare by the lakes. Um, well, there's, there's no big park shows on this year mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. Um, but I think that the plan is still for SBTL5 to probably be Henry V. Oh, very nice. Um, yeah, because it's the fifth one and it has five in the title. Yeah, um, yep. And Tamus, who's uh, you know, still the, the workhorse of the company in many <laughs> ways, that was the show that he's always wanted to do and he, he, he allowed us to do a lot of other things before it and said, as long as I can do the fifth one and I can be Henry V. So I think everything has to move out of the way to make that happen. He wants to do it in um, on rugby fields sure, and do it yeah. as a kind of a rugby game with the chorus as the referee. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm 100% sold on that <laughs> idea. I, I, I like it. I can see its appeal, its virtues. Yeah. There's a part of me that thinks maybe you're kind of trivializing war slightly, you're mm. kind of bringing something grand and awful down to a suburban level. <laughs> but look, that's, that's, it's not a major criticism if people go to it and enjoy it. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. And if people want to help be part of it or they want to assist with the production, the creation, anything they can. Is, is there a way for that to happen? I'd say go to the Lakespeare website yep. and there should be, uh, you should be able to follow links to contact somebody and that would probably be the best way to do it and keep your, your weather eye out on our Facebook page for audition notices, hmm. especially if you want to be in 
the shows. Yeah. Uh, we usually involve a lot of volunteers from the Canberra Rotary Club when it comes to just the physical organization and the running of the events. So maybe getting involved with Canberra's Rotary Society mm-hmm. is a way of, you know, by stealth getting into the <laughs> By stealth, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And finally, Duncan, the floor is open. Is there anything else you'd like to say to those listening before we wrap up? Just a thank you for um, being part of this podcast. It's it's great to be part of a, a podcast about Canberra or Canberrans in Canberra. And I'm going to have to start listening to some of the other episodes now. <laughs> no, thank you very much, Duncan. I mean, it's what you said about... If you wanna, if you wanna create something and it's not there, you you just you just do it because I think yeah. that's something that the city has missing and the adventures we've had so far on it have been so amazing and the people we've met have been wonderful. Great, so, yes, thank you. Great, folks. My name is Henry, and from the Chifley Library at ANU, this has been Canberra Conversations in the Capital. Stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you very soon.